Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today, I would start by asking you, if I gave you the choice, this is a question I've heard people ask from time to time, if I gave you the choice between retiring or doing your vacation home place in the mountains, at the beach, or on the lake, wonder what you would choose. I know this, I know in enough conversations I've talked to people that there's, there's people in all three of those camps. I guess there are other environments too, like the desert, but I, if you want a vacation in the desert, something's wrong with you, right? Um, and I, you know, I really, really like the beach. Not a big fan of the mountains. I mean, that's cool, but I wouldn't want to live there. I really like the beach, but I think the older I get, the more I'm kind of drawn to the lake deal. I like that. Didi's brother has a, a, a little cottage up on a lake in, in Michigan, not one of the big lakes. It's a it's a not nearly that big, not one of the Great Lakes. But he's got a little place on a fairly good-sized lake, and once a year, Dee Dee and I get to go up there and spend some time with him and his family, and um, he's got a couple of boats, and we go out on jet skis. It's a lot of fun. And then there have been some really neat dinners that his house kind of overlooks this deck, overlooks the lake, and it's just beautiful. And there's just something at times that has been healing for me to be there. You know, it's just good for my soul to be with people that I love and cherish and to eat good food and, and have a really beautiful setting. You know, the sun sets and you're just like, God, you're just amazing. Um, and so all of that is uh, something that I really enjoy. I like, I like being by the lake. In fact, I think the older I get, the more that's probably where I'd, I'd like to spend most of my time. So the setting of our story today is a meal and it's breakfast on a lake, and it's the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is an inland lake about, uh, it's, it's on the northern shore, um, it's on the northern, northern side of Israel. It's, um, the Sea of Galilee is about 33 miles a, around, so you could walk it within a week, uh, depending on what kind of hiker you are, you might do it faster than that, but some of us, it would take us a week, but it could be done, it's not impossible. And, um, so that's where the story happens today. It happens on the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, but it's also important that you know when the story happens. That this campfire meal beside the lake between Jesus and his disciples happens after <clears throat> the resurrection. Jesus spent three years uh, walking with his disciples, and he trained them, and he performed miracles, and he taught them, and then after those three years, the crucifixion and the resurrection happened. And did you know that after the resurrection, there were some times when Jesus appears to various people? And so we're going to look at one of those times today. This meal is one of those times, and the understanding that of when this meal occurs is critical to understanding, understanding the conversations that happen there. So today, my hope for some of you is that you will come to know Jesus as friend. Maybe for the first time, you would begin to see him as friend. Jesus as friend. Not when everything is all cleaned up and buttoned up and you, you're getting along good with Jesus and it's all wonderful, but even when things are pretty messed up, even when you feel very far from God, even when you feel like God doesn't want to hear you, hear your name, or think anything about you, there, you know, we all go through those moments where we're like, man, Jesus doesn't want to hear anything out of me. Even in those times, I would hope that you would come to see Jesus as friend. I'm talking about experiencing Jesus as friend, not when you've been at your best, but even when you have been 
at your worst. I want you to experience him as friend even in those moments. Our story this morning unfolds in three parts. And part one of the story is breakfast with Jesus. I want to read to you from John, the 21st chapter this morning. And and that's where we're going to be for the bulk of the time together. John 21. I'm going to start in verse 1 and verse 2. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and they're not mentioned there, but their names are James and John, so they're there, and two other disciples were together. We're not even told their names. Don't know who they were. And Peter announces, I'm going fishing. Now, Peter is not going to go fishing as a hobby. This is not a hobby for him. This is not recreational, this is vocational for Peter. You know, he's spent three years following Jesus. Jesus is, is crucified, resurrected, and has gone to be with Jesus, or hadn't gone to be with Jesus yet, but as far as Peter's concerned, I got to get back to work, right? I, I mean, I'm a fisherman, so he's, he's going to go back to work. And the other disciples are there, and, and uh, they say, well, well, we'll go fishing with you. You know, we're just, we're going with you. And they are not fishing with poles, they're fishing with nets, and they're out on a boat, and it's nighttime. Now, I looked this up this week because I had the question, why did they fish at night? And there are actually a couple of different reasons why they fish at night. I know you think of joke is coming. <laughs> There's no joke coming. Um, but they fish at night for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is because the nets were made of linen, and when you, when you try to use them in the daylight, the light illuminates the nets in the water, and the fish can see it, and that's not good for fishing. And then also at night, the fish come to the surface and are more easily caught with a net than they would be in the daytime. And they they come to the surface for a couple of different reasons. But these guys are casting out their nets and they're drawing them in all night. Casting out nets, drawing them in, look in there, no fish. Cast out the nets, draw them in, no fish. You know, over and over, they're just doing this thing where they're, they're, they're wasting, feels like they're wasting energy, wasting time. And they're not, they don't have anything to show for it. Dawn comes, the sun is rising, and on the shore, about 100 yards away, is this person that's standing on the shore, and he yells out to the boat, did you catch anything? To which the disappointed reply comes, no, we did not catch anything. And he yells, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Now, these are not novices, okay? These, this, Peter has spent his entire life on the water. He is a professional fisherman. He knows how to do this. Um, and so it would have been really easy for him to think, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not doing that. But that's not what he does. He, he casts the net on the other side of the boat, and when the net hits the water, it's as if every fish in the, in the sea just instantly swam to that net and gets itself entangled there, and they've got a catch a fish that was just huge. And so... John is one of the disciples who was there, and he, he looks at Peter, and he says, it's him. <laughs> at which point, Peter collects his robe, he kind of gets it wrapped around him, and he dives into the water, and he starts paddling as hard as he can to get to Jesus, because he's figured out that's Jesus on the shore. The rest of the disciples decide to opt for a drier, warmer Uh, response and they begin to row the boat to the shore and uh, they've got this huge catch of fish in the boat with them and when they get to the shore in the early morning light what they get is something that looks kind of like this hot coals with a fire 
and some fish that are roasting over the fire. There was some bread there as well. And Jesus has started a campfire and is cooking breakfast for these men. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus says, hey, Peter, go get some of the fish that you guys just caught out of your boat and let's throw those on the fire as well and let's, you know, let's have a big feast and let's cook some fish. And so they drag this net out, you know, it's, it's, the scriptures tell us that there were 153 fish in this net. Um, sounds pretty substantial to me. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And so just picture in your mind Here's Jesus handing these guys their breakfast. Now, I just have to ask you the question, is there any part of you, as we're reading along in this story, that, that gets a little jealous of the disciples? I mean, I'm, I'm, want, I'm looking at this story, and I'm like, well, uh, I want that. I want Jesus to fix some fish for me over the fire. I want to know what it's like to be able to sit around the campfire with Jesus and have conversations. I mean, so... This is a multi-sensory experience, and, and so I want to kind of lead you in something for a moment. I want to kind of teach you how to experience Scripture a little better. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, okay? I had a professor in college that, that taught me to use my sanctified imaginator. So we're going to turn on our sanctified imaginator. I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to just try to imagine these things that I described for you. I want you to feel the warmth. You're standing there next to Jesus around this fire. I want you to feel the warmth of the fire as, as the, the coals and the, the heat radiate toward your body. I want you to hear the sizzle of the, the fish as they cook and the, the, the crackling of the fire and the, the water that's you can hear it off in the distance lapping up against the shore. I want you to smell the, the, the sea air and the, the aroma of fish and bread that's, that's baking over this open fire. I want you to taste this meal that Christ has prepared especially for you. Now you can open your eyes. I love to think about what it must be like to be around a campfire with Jesus, for crying out loud. Now, if you know me, you know I love a good campfire. I mean, Jesus is my kind of guy. If he's cooking food over an open flame. I'm all in on that. I love that kind of stuff. And Jesus certainly is that, okay? He is the friend who cooks dinner and breakfast for the disciples over the flame. That's just one side of Jesus, though. But it is certainly a side of Jesus and one that I would like for you to include in your mental image when you think about him. I mean, Jesus often healed people. I think we have that version of Jesus in our head. We think about Jesus healing people. He taught all the time. He, he enjoyed meals with his friends, and we've looked at several of those in this series. He died on a cross. And so there are all different ways that we can see Jesus, but one of the ways is just as a friend. You know, the first recorded miracle of Jesus is at the wedding at Cana. He's been invited with his disciples to, to attend this wedding, so it's someone that's very close to him. And he's there with his disciples, and, and they enjoy the festivities of probably a two- or three- or four-day um, wedding feast kind of thing going on. And, and that's the first time that we see Jesus at, at any kind of meal or, or celebration like that. And then one of the last images of Jesus that we get 
is Jesus at the Last Supper when he's in the upper room with the disciples just hours before he is going to be arrested and crucified. And between those two points, between the wedding feast and the Last Supper, there is time and time again where you see Jesus sitting down and enjoying food with other people. We've seen that in this series. Some of those were really good conversations. Some of those were contentious conversations. Sometimes he's meeting with friends. Sometimes he's sitting down with what you might describe as enemies. And so Jesus is multifaceted and he is uh, multidimensional. He is healer, he is teacher, he is savior, but Jesus was a friend who dined with people. And it is my deep desire this morning that you would experience Jesus in that way. Not just as someone who was crucified on your behalf and died for you, but also the one who would look at you and say, hey, come have breakfast. Come have breakfast with me. I want you to know Jesus as a friend. I want you to know that there is room for you at the table this morning. And yet here's what I know. I know that when I talk like this, there are some people who are thinking to themselves, dude, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know, what, what, you don't know the blackness of my heart. You don't know the bad decisions I've made. You don't know the misbehavior I've been through. You don't know what my attitude is. Brett, um, I know that the disciples were welcome at this breakfast, but I don't think I would be welcome at the breakfast. I mean, Brett, later on in, in their lives, these guys, are their people are going to call them uh, you know, it's Peter, James, and John. I mean, it's Thomas. These guys, these are people that they're going to refer to eventually as St. Thomas and St. Peter and St. John. These are people, Brett, that when they paint them in pictures, they're going to put halos around their head. Nobody's putting a halo around my head, Brett. You don't know me. And it's right there that I think it's important to remember when this meal took place because you're tempted to say, Brett, I'm no saint. This meal occurs post-resurrection. It happens after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, after the arrest and trial of Jesus. You look around the campfire and what you see is Nathaniel and you see Thomas and you see a couple of guys that aren't mentioned. We know James and John were there, but one of the guys at the campfire was Peter, the guy whose clothes are soaking wet because he got so excited at the prospect of being with Jesus that he just threw himself into the sea to get to the shore as quickly as he could. Now, Peter did some things around the time of the arrest and trial of Jesus that we might consider unsaintly, okay? And it appears that in the time with Jesus since the resurrection, there has been no conversation about what Peter had done. And now that's going to change because it's as if Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, there are some things we need to talk about. Okay, we, we got to have a conversation, which brings me to part two of my talk, which is fireside chat. As they left the Lord's Supper, as they left that last supper in the upper room, they are headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and just before Jesus is arrested, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, guys, I just want you to know, all of you are going to bail on me tonight. Every one of you is going to turn and run. As scripture says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. You are going to scatter from me this very evening. Now, Peter, God love Peter. They may, this is what Peter says. 
They may run, but I will never run. That might be how they're made. That might be how they're wired, but I'm not wired that way, Jesus. I will never run. I want you to listen to his confidence in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. In other words, I'm more dedicated than them, Jesus. I'm more committed than them. I'm more devoted than them. I love you more than they do, Jesus. I will never leave you. And in just a few hours, Jesus will be arrested and he will be interrogated. And now Peter is in a courtyard and he is standing around a different fire, a different flame. And the room which Jesus is in, we, somehow it, it overlooks the courtyard. There's a, we know that Jesus saw Peter. And I just assume that Peter could see Jesus, which means that he could probably hear Jesus being interrogated and mistreated. He could probably hear Jesus being slapped and beaten throughout the night. And I think that he knows that things are not going well for Jesus, and he's standing there under this, and, and the, it, it's just taking it all in, and Peter is getting very, very scared. Earlier, Jesus had said to Peter, I hate to break it to you, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three different times. Now, I just want to take a time out in our talk this morning, and I just want to read that passage to you from the scriptures, uh, from the book of Luke. I just want to read it, and you may want to just close your eyes and download this. I'm not putting this on the screen. I'm just, it's about eight verses. I want to read it because I think, it, I think it's important that we, we place this in context. So here we go. Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This had happened days, if maybe week, just a couple of weeks, before breakfast on the beach. There are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know which one describes Peter disowning Jesus at the trial? All four of them. All four of them. Now, we've talked about this before. When it comes to the Gospels, not every story is included in every Gospel. Sometimes Mark may include one that the others don't. Sometimes maybe John and Luke will record, record one that the others don't. You get some stories that are repeated in all four, but not a lot. There aren't a lot that are contained in all four accounts of the Gospels. But this story, the story of Peter denying Jesus is in all four accounts. 
See, this isn't just failure. This is very public failure. This is epic failure. This is failure that Peter thinks he's never going to recover from. And they're there, and they've just eaten the fish and the bread, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, hey, Pete, there's something we need to talk about. We got, we got to have a conversation about this. And I think Peter's pulse quickened. I think it was one of those moments, you know what I'm talking about, when, you're, when you're, your breathing gets a little heavier and ragged, almost like you're running a marathon, but you're not, your feet aren't moving, right? Like it just everything accelerates. Your chest is, you can feel your heart pumping in your chest like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. And I think Peter's thinking to himself, here it comes. John 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think Peter's response is, Mr., I'm more committed and I'm more dedicated. I love you more than any of them. What's interesting to me in this particular segment is that Jesus uses Peter's formal name, Simon, son of John. That is not a casual term. Okay, that only got used in specific circumstances, and you know what I'm talking about. It's that same thing when your mama would call you in, and she didn't just use one name, she attached the middle name to it, right? You knew when you heard, Brett Charles? Oh, what have I done? What if, whatever it is, it's bad because she used the second name. Oh, I don't want to have this conversation. Get in here! Oh. Simon. Son of John, do you love me? And I think Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. And we're told that Jesus responds with, feed my lambs. At which point, I think if you're Peter, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm glad that's over. It could have been so much worse. I'm so glad that's all he had to say. Feed my lambs. I, I, okay, I'm good with that. No, and I think if, if Jesus could understand where Peter's heart was, he would have said, oh, no, no, no. I'm just getting warmed up, Peter. We're just revving this up. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time. He said to him, Simon, son of John. See, he's still got that middle name thing going. Do you love me? I think this is killing Peter. I think every time this question gets asked, it's just a dagger to Peter's heart. This guy who writes this story is, is John, who is there, and John writes this. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but this is hard for me to read. I'm one of those people that doesn't like to see people squirm, even when they deserve it. I don't like to see people get in trouble. I don't like to see people get yelled at. I don't like to see people get disciplined. You know, when little kids do stuff and their parents get after them, my heart always aches for the little kid. I mean, they may deserve it, right? Like, they, it may be that they had it coming, but I'm like, oh, little guy, I'm sorry. You know, I just, I hate to see people go through that. And, and so, you know, you're looking at this, and you're like, why is Jesus doing this? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? 
And I think it's possible that because Peter had disowned Jesus three times, Jesus has given Peter three opportunities to re-own him. Jesus gives him three chances to restate his love for Jesus. I don't think that Jesus is asking this in any way to embarrass or to shame Peter. I think he's asking these questions to Peter because he wants to restore Peter. He wants to bring him back to where he was. Peter's coming off one of the darkest, most embarrassing, most disappointing times in his life. He looks back on this and he thinks, I would give anything if that were not a part of my permanent record. I think if you were to ask Peter, Peter, has there ever been a time in your life that you wish you could have a do-over? I think Peter would say, oh, if I could just have that time over in the courtyard back again, I would do that so differently. Let me ask you something. You got a moment in your life where you wish you could have a do-over? You got a week? You got a season? You have a night when you would give anything to have that time back so that you could make a different, better decision? Some of you are overdue for a fireside chat with Jesus. You say, yeah, Brett, I'd love to have a do-over. Anybody out there due for a, a fireside chat? That conversation that you had that you wish you could take it back? That convention you went to, that night, that season, that girlfriend or boyfriend, that, that time you went through a, a period where you got addicted to something? You say, Brett, we're not supposed to live in the past. No, but sometimes you have to revisit the past in order to experience the freedom in the future and to have the opportunity to move effectively into your future. Is it possible that this morning you would hear Jesus whisper in your direction, hey, come have breakfast. Come sit down and have some breakfast. What if instead of hearing the voice that always says, hey, you're, you're not enough, you haven't done enough, you don't measure up, you're too much of a sinner, I don't like that in you, that needs to change. What if, what if instead of hearing that all the time, which is what some of you hear, you were able to change the channel and you were able to hear instead, hey, come and have breakfast with me. I've made this just for you. I've been waiting for you. What if you were to feel the warmth of the fire? What if you were to smell the fish and the bread? What if you could hear the, the water and hear that crackling fire? What if you had the opportunity to experience Jesus as friend saying, hey, let's talk about that time that you did that thing and let's get that taken care of. Let's talk about that night you wish you could have over. Let's talk about that season of your life that you wish you could have over. And you would say, well, Brett, I think that's what it means to be forgiven. Oh, it's way better than that. Peter doesn't just get restored at this breakfast on the beach. Peter gets recommissioned. He gets reassigned. Part three of the story, a critical assignment. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. I do, Lord, I do love you. You know, I, you know that I love you. 
And there's an image that Jesus uses here that to me seems a little bit unexpected. He comes back and he says, feed my sheep. Now this is the image that Jesus conjures for Peter. It's the image of a shepherd with his sheep. This isn't what I would have expected Jesus to draw upon in this beachside conversation with Peter. You would expect Jesus to say, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And I would expect Jesus to say, then I forgive you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I forgive you, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. I forgive you, Peter. That's not how this goes. The final line in each of those conversations are these. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter isn't just restored, Peter is given responsibility. I want you to notice the pronoun there. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my kids. What if we demonstrate our love for Jesus by nurturing and nourishing those in our spiritual community? One of the things that I've, I've tried to do since I took over as the pastor here is, is I've tried to avoid the idea that Cross Lane is somehow mine. Um, and people will say this to me when I'm out in public. Um, usually it's people who don't know me very well. I've had family members, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins, that'll, they'll ask me, you know, Brett, tell me about your church. Um, tell me about your church. How big is your church? I, I don't like to have conversations where it sounds like this church belongs to me. I don't view Cross Lane as belonging to me, as if you are mine somehow. You are not mine. You belong to God. This church belongs to God. I've tried to be careful in my time that, that I don't, you know, and I've heard preachers do it, and I understand, and it, it's okay, but it's just something that I've tried to avoid. I've tried to avoid using language such as, in my ministry, because it's not my ministry. It's the ministry that God allows me to perform in this place. You are his. You are not mine. And so this is a privilege for me. I, you know, if you've ever gotten a communication from me, if you, like, read the, the update in the email on on Tuesdays, if you don't know, I, I send out an email update every Tuesday, and you can get that. If you go to our website, you can sign up and get that. And I send that email out, and a lot of times at the end, I will sign off ILMC. Now, you might have seen that and thought, what in the world is ILMC? I love my church. But when I write that, I had a friend of mine, you know, kind of challenge me a little bit on that, and he said, Brett, it's not your church. And I wrote back and said, oh, I'm well aware of that. I don't use it in that way. I use I love my church the same way you would. See, I go to church here just like you. This is my church the way it's your church in that it's our church. It's where we come and we fellowship and we come together. This is kind of our place, right? That's what we're talking about. But when it comes to owning this or this being mine somehow, you are not mine. You belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. We, this is his. And so I, I have the opportunity to, to nourish and nurture the people that come to church at Cross Lane. There are going to be times when you are called by God to do things, to nourish and nurture somebody, either that you don't know very well, or maybe even that you don't even particularly like all that well. And, and, and you would say, I would say to you, you do not nourish them because they matter to you. 
you nourish them and you nurture them because they matter to God. Jesus has left us the responsibility and the critical assignment of caring for one another. Remember that when those of you who work with our middle school and our high school kids, if you're ever around them and you've got to work with them, they can be a little exasperating, okay? They can stretch you a little bit. Remember that. Remember that when you're tired. Remember when you haven't completely prepared as well as maybe you should have. Remember, hear Jesus say, feed my sheep. Those are my sheep. Go feed those. Those of you who are involved in our, our women's ministries, if you've got some kind of role there, if you're, in, if you're involved in every man up, if you have any kind of leadership position around here, if you ever do ministry around here, those of you who are small group leaders, those of you who work with, with our kids' adventure or, or are in our nursery, remember that. You, you, they, they, you've been called by God to nurture his lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then if you love me, take care of them. Feed them. Peter ages. Years later, he is not some young disciple. Years later, he is one of the church fathers. He's a wise old man, and now he he is... uh, seen the persecution of the church. He has seen Christians flee the persecution and, and, and little pockets of Christianity start to, churches start to pop up all over the place. And now Peter is writing back to some of these Jesus communities and he's trying to help them figure out how to bear up underneath the persecution that they experience. First Peter is written by the guy who sat soaking in his clothes beside the fire that morning with Jesus eating fish. He's writing to those who have assumed the mantle of spiritual leadership in these Jesus communities that have popped up all over. And and the imagery that Peter uses as he encourages these leaders isn't surprising. The imagery of a flock with a shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. I want to just point out some things to you there. Be shepherds of God's flock that have been placed under your care. And here Peter touches on not just the activity, but also the motivation behind the attitude with which we should be serving Jesus. Not because you must, but because you are willing. The challenge is to see this not just as something that I have to do, but something that I get to do. See, I don't don't have to comfort those who are grieving. I get to comfort those who are grieving. I don't just walk with a 14-year-old kid that feels like nobody loves him and he's down on his luck and he feels depressed and alone. I get to come beside somebody like that and love on them, and walk with them, and show them that, they, that I care, right? That's not something that I have to do. That's stuff that I get to do. That's the beauty of this breakfast with Jesus. It's not just about getting restored. It's about being assigned. Pull the boat up to the shore and feel the warmth of the coals and experience the aroma of the fish and the bread. Taste the meal that your Lord has prepared for you experience Jesus as friend. I want to leave you with one last sentence that I hope that you will return to over the remainder of the day, 
maybe for the remainder of the week, maybe for the rest of your life, I would hope that this is something you hear Jesus saying to you over and over again. There is room at the table for me. There's room at the table for me. When things get crazy, when things get messed up, when things aren't put together, there is room at the table for me. Not when you've been at your best, but when you've been at your worst, when you have been embarrassed and you feel far from God and you don't think that there is a way for you to make your way back. There is room at the table for you. There really is, you know. Pull up a chair. There is room at the table for you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, I don't know what you think happens in that exchange. I don't know whether you think we just hand you like this card that's got the Ten Commandments on it and we just check on you once a week to see how you're doing. I don't know if you think somebody's going to watch over you and hit you with a hammer if you don't do it. I don't know what you think, but that's not what it is. A relationship with Christ is a relationship where he begins to empower you to be better. It's not going to make you perfect. It's not going to make you sinless. It's not going to make you never sin again. No, you're still going to have trouble. It's not going to make all your problems go away. But you're going to have a friend that will walk with you through all that. You're going to have a guide. You get the Holy Spirit inside you that leads you, lifts you up, prays for you, calms you down, gives you peace. And if you've never given your life to Christ, that is something you need to seriously consider doing, coming to Jesus as friend. I've prepared breakfast for you. Come have some fish. Let's have a talk. That's the Jesus I want you to walk with. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help the one who's never given their life to Christ to see what a great offer this is. And Lord, if that, that they, would, they would finally put down their, their defenses, they would stop running, and they would just simply say, I confess my need for Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that you would prompt them to reach out to somebody, me, if they want, so that we could have that conversation. Lord, we all in this room know what it is to do things to let you down. And it's a disappointment to you and it's a disappointment to us and we get to this place sometimes where we think, good night, what was I thinking? How could I have done that? I was so stupid. But Lord, we have never gone beyond your reach. And your grace is bigger than any sin we could conceive or execute. And so, Father, in these moments, I pray that we would, all of us, be seeing you as friend, offering breakfast on the beach. Hey, come and have breakfast. Thank you, Father, for being that kind of God, for not turning and going the other direction, but you ran in our direction to save us, to love us, and to make a seat at the table for me. And, Father, I am so thankful that you did. We pray these things in the precious, holy, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.